the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. We hope you enjoyed your Christmas. And now we're diving into the New Year sphere of movies. We're going to do another New Year horror movie. We did Norman J. Warren's Bloody New Year last time out. But for this year's New Year festivities, we're going on the killer transport mode that is Terror Train. And it wouldn't be New Year and it wouldn't be HD Movie Podcast if we didn't close the year off with a New Year's related slasher. So this was just a logical step to take with our final episode of 2023. Last year, we went to Barry Island for Bloody New Year. We're going somewhere a little more exotic this time. We're in the wilds of America, or is it Canada? Because it was shot by Canadians. It's Roger Spotty's Woods 1980 slasher, Terror Train, starring Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, we have the one and only screen queen in this movie. So let's get to it and tell you a little bit about what Terror Train is all about without dropping my phone. Okay, this synopsis comes from Claudio Cavallo. The college students Doc, Michelle, Michimo, Alana, Edward and Jackson bought a prank for their college mate Kenny Hampson. However, the joke goes wrong and Kenny ends up in a mental institution. Years later, Doc and Mo decide to celebrate their graduation with a costume party and a magician aboard of a train. In the embarkation platform, Ed is murdered by a killer that wears his costume of Groucho Marx. Then he kills Jackson and wears his costume of the swamp thing. The conductor, Carney, discovers his body. But who might be the mass killer? Now, this is the kind of slasher film that this really does up the ante. You will not guess from the off who the killer is in this film that the mystery is just that compelling. And I do appreciate that is sarcasm in my voice. Yeah, it kind of sets up the prologue by giving you the most obvious guy as the killer and basically spending the entire movie bending over backwards, throwing red herrings in the way, saying, well, it might not be this guy. It could be somebody else covering up their murders by framing Kenny for the murders, because Kenny, poor old Kenny, he's gone to the mental institution, he's been traumatised by this prank, but has he broken out, and is he on the way to murder all his ex-college buddies? on this train well we're gonna go right to the end straight away because yes it is him no matter what they throw in into the plot to make you think it's somebody else yes it tries its best to throw some doubt on the proceedings it tries to make everybody a suspect but it ends up being kenny 
there's no real mystery. One thing that is a bit more mysterious is the reveal of how Kenny has been managing to disguise himself to commit all these heinous murders. That's pretty neat, but the rest of it, it's a bit of a plot. It's not great, it's not awful, but it takes an awfully long time to properly get going. After what I have to say is a fairly nasty opening sequence. The prank is vicious to the point where you almost think, well, you know what? They brought it on themselves that Kenny's coming after him to murder him all because they basically get him to snog a fairly disgusting-looking corpse. Now, I'm not sure how Kenny completely falls for this, but it's not really in keeping with the rest of the movie either because the first sequence is so devious and nasty and evil. The rest of the movie is a little bit tame by comparison because most of the killings are off screen. There's very little gore. It kind of reminded me a bit of Prom Night in terms of levels of gore. However, Prom Night is gorier than this and I did actually enjoy Prom Night more than this. Both movies were shot fairly close together. Prom Night was shot in the August and September of 79 and then Terror Train was shot in the November and December of 79. One thing the Canadians were very adept at doing at the time was getting onto the slasher train, pardon the pun, really, really quickly. So when you had Friday the 13th and then precursor to that Halloween, the very first slasher movies were Canadian productions. Very interesting. So the idea for Terror Train came to a dream for Daniel Grodnick. He basically wanted to make Halloween on a train. And I think initially the problem with that is he's just looked at another movie that's done really well and wanted to take all those tropes and just change the setting. And that's all very good and well, but I just don't really think this movie has a lot going for it. I mean, I do love slasher movies and there are some that I hold in high regard above others, but this one to me felt a little derivative. And I'm surprised to say I actually prefer Prom Night to this one as well. So I've seen Prom Night a couple of times. It's not, again, one of my absolute favourites, but it just has a little bit more to it than this one. And I think, as you say, the opening scene does really set the tone. Yes, you've got a horrible prank going ahead and teenagers causing all this kind of debauchery and emotional unrest. But I think we've seen this trope done so many times and I know that this was kind of an early one and obviously it's my fault that I'm late to the party watching this but I just kind of felt like okay this is what we're going for okay I feel I've seen this before the movie just feels like a load of filler and a load of random sequences just happening there is the inclusion of David Copperfield the magician his kind of presence there and what that means for the conclusion as well that is probably its only interesting element I do agree with you Darren there's one really inventive moment in the killer reveal. The marketing for this was quite misleading again because you've got this killer in this Groucho Marx mask that is the image for Terror Train, but it's like he's hardly in that costume, so it is a bit misleading. There's no real iconic presence for the killer as such because, again, obviously in your Friday the 13th and your Halloweens and your Screams, you've just got that iconic presence there where you know the mask, you know what the villain looks like, 
they've really made their mark. But in this, it's just like somebody changing disguises and masks the whole time to fool the audience. And I mean, I guess maybe they thought that would be quite a fun idea because you're never going to know who the killer is at any one point. But yeah, it, it just was kind of lost on me. I think I'm obviously just a bit disillusioned with this kind of thing right now. So <laughs> I just feel that they just wanted to capitalise on the success of Halloween and make something that, you know, people would go and see if they liked Halloween, essentially. And I think that by getting Jamie Lee Curtis to star in this as well, it's like they really just wanted to make another Halloween. Saying that, though, the character of Alana, she's not exactly like Laurie Strode. I think Laurie Strode has a lot more depth to her, especially like in the first movie, we're not talking about the sequels. But I, I just think the way that she's played as quite an innocent bystander who goes through this trauma... I think that's really well played out with this. There's just not a lot of substance to it. So I did approach this film in a very lukewarm way because I feel I've seen it. I can just tick it off the slasher bucket list, but this one isn't one that I would probably revisit. Yeah, I think this is my third watch of Terror Train. It's not going to be a game changer in the slasher community. It does really really take its time the first hour i've got to say if you're waiting for gore and killings and stuff you're going to be waiting an awfully long time for it because the first hour pretty much the sum total of fuck all happens there are a couple of killings and then people don't really do an awful lot about them there is that early killing with the swamp thing costume which is just completely illogical because the killer gets the guy in the Swamp Thing costume. He smashes him all around this train toilet, breaks the mirror, there's blood everywhere. The guard finds the body with all the blood, goes to fetch his mate. Well, actually, he doesn't immediately go to fetch his mate. He goes to see his mate, and then he says, somebody's dead in the toilet, and then just goes for coffee. It's like, no, I need some coffee. It's like, well, no, I think you probably ought to go back and check the body. But it does leave the killer enough time to clean up the toilet and then pose in the Swamp Thing mask. You've got huge leaps in logic like that. It's like, how could he clean the toilet in that amount of time? It is just full of lapses in logic like that. People will find their bodies, but just say, well, you know, let's keep this quiet. Why do you want to keep that quiet? Why don't you tell everybody else on the train somebody's been murdered? Get them all in one place straight away and then try and find out who it is. No, no, it's like, no, we've got to keep this quiet. Thus giving the killer more opportunity to murder more people. And I am a little bit disappointed that there isn't more gore. I mean, I don't want people packed to pieces every 10 minutes. But the fact that everything happens off screen and it's so lacking in blood when you find the dead bodies later on, it just feels like doesn't really satisfy anything it's got a decent suspense scene here and there but it's not really that scary it's not really that gory at all and at 97 minutes i think it's probably about 15 minutes too long as well it doesn't really grab you the pacing is a little bit off however what it does have it has Hart Bockner in it, who is warming up for his role as utter douchebag Ellis in Die Hard by playing utter douchebag Doc in this. When I saw Hart Bockner in the credits when I first saw this, I saw this 
after I'd seen Die Hard originally and thought, is this guy going to be playing a douchebag? And then as soon as he comes on screen, he's like, yes, this guy is going to be playing a douchebag. He's very good at playing douchebags. From the minute you see him on screen, you just think, oh God, I hope this guy gets it. Even more than in Die Hard, basically, because Ellis is just an idiot. Doc's a bit of a sociopath, really. He's really horrible. Yeah, definitely. As we said, the whole prank scene is so mean-spirited and you think what goes through someone's head to basically do that to someone. And, it, you know, it is, it is vicious because it is a vulnerable person that they have played this prank on. And I think it was just the way things were in those movies back in the day. It was There was always somebody that got brutally bullied, someone who was considered a bit of a misfit, didn't quite fit in with the rest of the group. There was that element to it. But yeah, I think, as you said, I agree with you, the movie is way too long. It's longer than it needs to be. I think I was clock watching a little bit because there's just so much filler. There's just so much randomness going on, but you don't get any real true character development out of it. And I know these are slasher movies and you're not meant to think too deeply, but I like a slasher movie where I can really get on board with the characters and really care about them. So it has more effect on me when they do get killed off because you're like a bit disappointed then that your favourite character's been hacked to pieces. But there was nothing, I didn't feel anything for anyone, even Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, she is great. She is a fantastic actress, full stop. And I just don't think they utilised her as well as they could have. I think she wanted to bring in more to the character, but was restricted by what she could do. And that is why you have this whole weird sequence at the end where she goes in for a kiss with the killer. And that was her decision to put that in, just to add in a little bit more depth. But, I mean, it just comes across as a bit strange more than anything for me. It's just like that she's just doing it to try and appease the killer and save herself, really. I kind of like the demise of the killer. That was just kind of abrupt. And then the movie ends. So I think we've gone through this prolonged experience. It is like literally being on a train journey i mean i'm from wales and if you've ever experienced transport for wales or arriva trains wales as it was it's basically just a slow painful travel experience i think that is kind of what this film brought back to me <laughs> so, yeah so it's like us being on a slow moving train where not much is happening and you're clock watching for quite a while and then some stuff does happen, it, it, but then by that point, you're past caring. And I, I know I sound really, really down on this film, but I just couldn't get excited about it. And it's a shame because I do love this genre. This, this genre is the reason that I love horror films. But th I think this was just basically a cheap effort to capitalise on the slasher movie craze at the time. I just don't think it was trying to be anything more than what it is. But going into spoiler territory and talking about the reveal that we both quite enjoyed in it is, and neither of us guessed this, which is, is quite fun, is the fact that the killer, Kenny, the whole time has been masquerading as the magician's assistant. The actor is actually a drag artist, so like he just managed to fool everybody, the audience, the characters in the movie, and I think that was quite a clever move, and that was quite interesting. But it's a very fleeting moment. You get that towards the end and then he's pushed off the train at the end and falls into ice and then he's dead, the movie ends. There's so much more that could have been explored in this whole thing. As a killer, he doesn't even really speak either. So it's just a sad situation because he's not a malevolent presence as such. It's just he's somebody out for revenge being mistreated. 
but he is very vulnerable at the same time. So I'm not sure if we're meant to feel sorry for him or if we're meant to be rooting for Jamie Lee to come in and kick his ass. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what, what they really wanted to convey with this movie. No, the way the movie plays out, I think it's pointing you in the direction of you wanting to kill most of the arseholes off. But when he gets to Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee is sacrosanct and you can't kill Jamie Lee Curtis off in a slasher movie. Halloween Resurrection, fucking take notes. At the end, by the time the showdown between Killer and Jamie Lee, it's, they make him go a little bit over the top, they make him go a little bit too far so that the audience is thinking, well, you know what now? We'll quite happily watch him stabbing and decapitating through the rest of the cast. But once you get to Jamie Lee Curtis, no, stop. You can't do anything to her. She has to survive this movie. It does feel a bit imbalanced that way. Jamie Lee Curtis is pretty good in this movie, but as you say, she's not got a lot to work with, but she does put in a decent performance. The guy that I thought was really good in this movie was Ben Johnson, who is the guard. I think he got a kick out of being the senior presence in a cast full of very young people. But he's great in the movie, Ben Johnson. Obviously a very experienced actor. And told the director that he wanted less dialogue, not more. He said, you know, I don't need all of this dialogue. He had loads, apparently, in the original script. But he just said, turn it down a bit. I don't need to have all of this dialogue. And I think he's right, because he's a very impactful character. He's pivotal in quite a lot of ways. So I thought he was great. David Copperfield, odd casting liked his magic, doesn't seem to get to grips with the acting chops quite so much, but then again, he's a magician, not an actor. Weird scene where he is flirting with Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, fair enough, if you're a guy on a train with Jamie Lee Curtis, who wouldn't flirt with Jamie Lee Curtis? But when Copperfield does it, it's a little bit awkward, but Jamie Lee plays off that she's quite impressed with it, even though most women would think, yeah, you're just a bit creepy. It's another way that this movie just pads itself out. You know, you get a magic sequence, you get interminable musical numbers by this band. Now, the band is fine. I don't mind them. It kind of reminded me of Night Train to Terror. Not quite the same vibe, but one of the songs that the band is playing, I assume it is called Funky Love, which contains the lyric... There ain't no need to push and shove. I just want your funky love. I think we can all learn a lot from that lyric. <laughs> when the movie came out, it's estimated an 8 million gross at the box office. It exceeded its budget of 3.5 million. So, you know, it did pretty okay, but it wasn't exactly well received by critics. I mean, surprise, surprise, Roger Ebert hated it. It was not his vibe, as we know, going back into the historical vaults of Roger Ebert's reviews. Variety said it was a competent film in a mildly positive review. And then this is the one that I quite agree with. This is a quote from Ed Blank of the Pittsburgh Press. It says, Terror Train, a neat name, a nothing movie. And I'm completely on, on board that train with him because this is the thing. It's The idea is there, but it's what you do with that idea. And I just don't feel this is developed enough. It's not interesting enough. It's very much paint-by-number slasher movie, which is fine, but it just didn't really give that many surprises. It gave me one surprise that I thought, okay, that was pretty cool. But other than that, there was just nothing going for this film. And I feel really sad about this because this is the last episode of the year and I'm not all cheery and happy that I've seen this really great 80s slasher movie, unfortunately. 
it had a life on VHS. Shout Factory released it in the early 2010s. And then over in the UK in 2019, 88 films have released this movie as well. So it is out there, it is available. And you can watch it on Amazon Prime for free as well if you don't want to spend any money on it. Yeah, and I'm not sure you would want to rent this particularly, well, not for any decently large amount of money anyway. It's not one of the greatest slashes you'll ever see. It's probably not one of the greatest slashes you'll see this week, if you like slasher movies. Which is a shame, because it's got some pedigree. Roger Spottiswood, decent director, went on to do things like Under Fire. He also did things like Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, so got a fairly checkered filmography. But talented director, no problem with his filmmaking skills. Clearly decent people in the cast who went on to do other things. You've got uh, early appearance for Canadian model D.D. Winters, better known as Vanity, who hung around with Prince eventually. So she's in there, but she's not really affecting the plot much. She's just there to look pretty, which she does very well. She's a very beautiful woman, Vanity. But again, it's a nothing part. A lot of this movie, as it says, the review, nothing movie. They had the idea to set Halloween on a train, but that's full of logistical and logical problems. Yeah, it's a cool thought, but when you actually open the idea out and think, right, how are we going to get around all the problems here? They don't get around any of the problems. They just expect you to go along for the ride, as it were. And for people that just want to switch their brain off completely, that's not a problem. But when you start trying to look for the flaws, they're quite easy to find. If you re-watch it, like I've done, well, it's not like the scales fall from your eyes, but it's like this movie is even more full of holes than I thought it was on the previous watch. So I think... If you're an extremely undemanding slasher fan who doesn't want too much gore and doesn't like to be scared particularly, then this fits the bill. But slasher movie fans generally want to be terrified and want to see some gore. I mean, even the decapitation, that's rubbish because it's off screen to start with. And then when the fake head falls out, firstly, it's the least convincing fake head you've ever seen. And then when you see it, I mean, it's, it's on screen for a few frames because it's so crap. They just think, we can't show this for more than a few frames. But when you actually see it, I mean, I froze frame it and then <laughs> and thought, well, actually, that's fuck all like the guy it's supposed to be. That's not his head. So <laughs> even even the effects are no good in this movie. I'm sorry, Terra Train, but... I mean, I never had love for this movie anyway, but my appreciation for it has dwindled over the years and has got down to pretty much zero with this latest watch because it just doesn't do anything particularly inspiring apart from that one bit of inventiveness, which almost rescues it. But as you say, as soon as they've pulled this reveal out, it's like, right, you know who the killer is now. Let's hit him with a shovel and then knock him out of the train. End of movie. So you've built up all of this plot and the reveals there. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, right, well, we don't need to do anything anymore. We've had this going for 95 minutes. Yeah, let's just kill him off. Couple of whacks with a shovel out the train, off a bridge, into some ice, floats down the river, dead roll credits. Credits roll, yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, well, well, is that it? 
after all that, they could have made something more of it, but they didn't. And I agree with you, it just feels like it's a it's a lazy rip-off of Halloween, which just took the basics of John Carpenter's classic, transported it to somewhere else, but then had no idea how to put its own stamp on it. Certainly it's given me more of an appreciation for Prom Night, because at least that fucking tried to do something, and it has a pretty odd wrinkle in the plot. Now, Prom Night, without giving too much away, doesn't really put Jamie Lee Curtis in a lot of danger because of the way the story goes. But even then, Jamie Lee Curtis does make a mark in Prom Night and clearly was working hard because she auditioned for Prom Night, even had to do the dancing and stuff. So Jamie Lee Curtis wanted to be in Prom Night and it kind of comes across on screen. Whereas Terror Train, they were just like, we've got to get Jamie Lee Curtis. So I don't think she had to audition for Terror Train. Now, not that she doesn't put in good work here because she does, but it doesn't really work. I think they're just building Terror Train around the fact that it's got Jamie Lee Curtis in and they don't have to try for the rest of the movie. No, that doesn't work that way because, again, if you've watched Halloween Resurrection, that's the same principle. It's like, we've got Jamie Lee Curtis in it. Oh, and by the way, here's the innovation for Halloween Resurrection. We're going to kill her off. We're going to kill Laurie Strode off in this movie. You fucking idiots. Halloween Resurrection. It's a blot on the slasher landscape, that one. And I would recommend that people steer clear of Halloween Resurrection, especially now as I've spoiled it for you. You don't need to go and fucking watch that piece of shit. She dies in the middle of it. The rest of it's crap. Even if Buster Rhymes does punch Michael Myers at some point, as fun as that sounds, it's not worth seeing the movie for. Back to Terror Train, same principle. (laughs) Just having Jamie Lee Curtis above the title doesn't necessarily mean it's a good slasher movie. I'm with you there. I read recently that Jamie Lee Curtis asked to be killed off in Halloween Resurrection because I think she was so incensed on how the plot was going. I mean, obviously we're not going to get too much on a Halloween tangent here, even though it's very difficult not to. But I think Halloween H2O is pretty decent. I quite like it. I like the atmosphere. I like the Halloween aesthetic to it. Just that autumnal vibes. I like the high school setting. Josh Hartner is in it. I mean, come on. But the fact that they wreck on that whole ending where it was like a decent finale for Halloween and they wreck on it completely and then you get Resurrection. And I mean, I watched that movie once. I rented it on video, I believe, possibly DVD. I think it was a video. Back in the day, saw it once, was incredibly disappointed and just moved on with my life. And when I did do a marathon of rewatching the Halloween movies a few years ago, I was like, yeah, I'm stopping at H2O. That's where the saga ends for me. That's fair. But yeah, yeah, as you say, going back to Terror Train, the movie that we're actually talking about that has so little substance that we're talking about other things. I, I don't know if lazy is the correct word because I think there was some level of effort to this. I just don't think they went in the right direction. They were kind of unclear about what they wanted to do. And as you say, it's just that lack of trying because they've got Halloween's big star in this movie. It's like, People come and watch this, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it. And that's what they were banking on. But if you've got Jamie Lee Curtis there, please do more with her. And I bet she was really trying, as like based on what I've read, about how she added in that weird kiss with the killer into it. But there just needed to be a lot more development with everybody in this film because it's just a bunch of people talking shit on a train for an hour and a half. That's how I how I saw it. And I just don't really understand how they all came to this conclusion with 
why they were playing these mean-spirited pranks on vulnerable people. Why does anything happen in this movie the way it does? There was just no real explanation to it. And I think it's just a little bit on the dull side. Yeah. So it's legacy. It did spawn a remake that was produced by Tubi. Now, Darren found out this information and when he was researching and told me, and I was like, well, this passed me by. And also, why did they remake Terror Train? I mean, who thought that was a good idea? I've not seen this remake, so I can't comment on its quality, but slasher movies aren't exactly all the rage these days, so I don't know really why now we need a remake of Terror Train. I guess we got one of Slumber Party Massacre a couple of years back, which was decent, but I mean, I don't really understand why these obscure 80s slasher films need a bit of a, a retread. I'm not sure. And then even more bizarrely, the remake of Terror Train has a sequel, Terror Train 2, that came out in 2022, almost a year ago. What is going on? Who is asking for this? Who has a want for Terror Train remakes and sequels? I don't know. And because I didn't really get on, on board there you go. Uh, with, the, with, with, the, with the original, I don't know if I've got enough effort in me to go and seek this out, but... Let us know in the comments if you've seen the remake of Terror Train and if you think it's something that we might like. Would it be an improvement on the 1981? I'm not sure. I'm not holding out much hope, though. I've seen clips and it does look to be gorier than the original, but that, oh. isn't, that isn't saying much. And I no. think it is a fairly standard retread of most of the plot. Obviously, the sequel isn't because there was no sequel to the original Terror Train, so they've got to take it in a different direction, or do they? But to be honest... I'm not that interested in seeing a remake. Having said that, I did like the Slumber Party Massacre remake. Having seen the clips of the new Terror Train, I'm less inclined to see it because it just feels like it's a retread of pretty much all of the original movie, which wasn't that interesting to begin with. So unless we're forced to do it on the podcast by some means, I'm not going to be spending my time tracking it down, which is a bit of an indictment against the movie if somebody like me is going to say, yeah, you know what, I'm not watching that movie because I've watched some absolute shit over the decades. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that would be listener's choice remake of well-known slasher films. Uh, let us know, bring them in. We might do that just to torture ourselves one day. Who knows? Uh, Terror Train has a 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 44% tomato meter and a 38% audience score. And I think that's pretty much fair enough. I mean, I'm not going to completely blast it and say that it deserves a 2 out of 10 or anything like that. The score is pretty appropriate for what it is. It's fairly run-of-the-mill and average. It just doesn't have a lot of depth to it. And I know I'm talking about a slasher movie, but I like a bit of depth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's got to have something else going for it. Either it's got to have something going for it in terms of character development or it's just got to be 90 minutes of people getting graphically slaughtered in imaginative ways. Terror Train is neither, so it's not going to satisfy people coming in for the gore. It's certainly not going to satisfy people coming in for the plot. It's probably not going to satisfy people coming in to see Jamie Lee Curtis because it just all feels really flat. Yeah, definitely. And you can see her in so many other better movies. So I wouldn't really worry about missing this one if you're going on a Jamie Lee Curtis filmography binge. Yeah, so I'm going to actually say 
and this is a very weird thing to say if you want more entertainment and you want a new year horror actually you're probably going to get more mileage out of bloody new year because it might be rubbish but it is fun this just seems a little bit uh... i do wish we could chat longer and that's it for episode 121 of the hd movie podcast as always thank you for listening and if you enjoy our content and would like to keep up to date with us, we are on social media on Facebook, X and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Now, before we go, it's the end of the year and we want to do a little roundup of our top five personal favourite episodes that we've recorded throughout 2023. As Darren said, off air, we've got five on it. So at number five, Darren, what was your favourite episode to record? Number five for me, what would they think if they knew it was Michael? It's our Grease 2 episode. For me, because there was an unexpected moment in this film that neither of us foresaw. My number five is the Hallmark original, The Irresistible Blueberry Farm. How can you not laugh at a title like that? But also, when you're presented with a wall of scary faces that come out of nowhere at the end of some unassuming rom-com. I mean, that just drew me in there, so... <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, the scary faces. Even if it wasn't my favourite episode of the year, it was probably my moment of the year discovering the scary faces. So, number four, always nice to have Kate Orton on the podcast. Number four is Cruel Jaws, which I had an absolute riot with. It was brilliant. I love Kate and her view on shark movies, especially terrible shark movies like Cruel Jaws. Absolutely. And we hope to get Kate back on for Summer of Sharks 2024. I'm going to say my number four is what your number five was, was Grease 2. Always wanted to talk Grease 2 on the podcast. Just basically unraveling that mystery of who's that guy. We just needed to do that. So I'm glad we did and I'm glad we found out. Yeah, I don't think anybody else on the planet would have known who the cool rider was if we hadn't have delved into the mystery. So, at number three, it was our 100th episode. I am picking the movie-related Urban Legends episode, which took a bit of research and a bit of recording, but it was so much fun to do, and hopefully we can do something more in that vein in the coming year. Absolutely. I'm definitely up for that. And then for me, my number three was Bad Timing. So an episode that I was never expecting to do, because if you've already listened to it, you'll know that this was a movie that I saw many moons ago and it really impacted me and my best friend. She brought it up to me again recently. I just went on Reddit, the tip of my tongue thread, just to try and find answers. And someone got back to me straight away, you're talking about Bad Timing. And that just made Darren and I go down this really weird cinematic experience of Nicholas Rogue's bad timing. This man's filmography has haunted me since I was a child. This episode, it was an intense movie. It was one of those movies you couldn't look away and it was so interesting to talk about. So I'm so glad that we did an episode on bad timing. Yeah, brilliant movie. Really good episode. Number two for me was a movie that isn't quite of the quality of Bad Timing. In fact, it's quite a long way from the quality of Bad Timing. But I had a riot talking about it. It was the episode on Cursed. Oh, of course, yeah. And then we never stopped talking about it throughout the whole of our Halloween season. 
yeah, that was fun to do. Not made my cut, unfortunately, but I appreciate the mention of one of our Halloween episodes there. Number two for me is one of my favourite movies of all time. Still one of my favourite movies of all time. And I was very keen on doing an episode on this film for its 30th anniversary. And that is Mrs. Doubtfire. It will always hold a special place in my heart. And I'm just so happy that we did cover that on the podcast. Yeah, I think that was just outside the five for me. There's so much stuff that we've done. I thought, oh, that was a good episode. That was a good episode. So it was quite hard to narrow them down. Number one on my list is something you've already mentioned, and it is the episode on bad timing. Partly because it was something that neither of us had really seen before. I'd kind of drifted in and out of it years ago, but hadn't properly watched it. So I was blown away by the movie. It was great to talk about it. And although it was a slightly more serious episode than we would normally get to grips with, it's nice to talk about something that's a bit more weighty occasionally. Yes, we do like to cover terrible movies and stuff that we can have a laugh with, but it's nice to occasionally get to grips with something that's of the importance and the weirdness and just the intensity of bad timing. Great movie, love to talk about it. Certainly want to get hold of a copy of the film. I still don't have it on Blu-ray, but I am going to get hold of a copy of it. Excellent. And then for me, it's already an episode that has been mentioned, but my favourite top episode that we did in 2023 was the 100th episode because, number one, getting to that milestone was pretty epic and shocking and like we were just like, how have we been going for 100 episodes and this is really cool. And I do love these topic-led episodes. I love, obviously I love our usual format, but I, I really enjoy a special episode, really digging deep and researching into a lot of movie weirdness so I had I had such a good time going down the Reddit rabbit holes and other memes as well YouTube and everything you know unlocking kind of personal memories about films there's just so much to it and I just really enjoy longer top 10 formats of episodes so yeah the 100th was pretty special so that that's um, what we achieved in 2023 that was our milestone so very very proud of us and we're still going strong yeah we are and Chances are that we're going to be hitting 150 in 2024, so we'll have to get our thinking caps on about what we're going to cover for episode 150. So, next time, we'll be covering something. We don't quite know what we're going to do yet, but we will be back in 2024 when we're going to be covering stuff. Absolutely. So, stay tuned, follow us on social media so you can keep up to date when our new episodes will be launching in 2024. And with that all said, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's taken their time to listen to our podcast. It really does mean a lot. I hope you've had just as much fun as we have recording them as you have listening to them. Uh, and obviously, I want to say a big thank you to Darren for just talking films with me once a week, basically putting ourselves through some very grueling episodes at times. <laughs> thank you to Darren as well for all the editing and all the hard work he puts into these podcasts so yeah happy new year with all that said <laughs> yeah but right back at you early it's great to have somebody to bounce my sometimes ranty opinions off and i think some people would just not have stuck the distance that they thought oh fuck this guy he just shouts all the time so <laughs> thank you once again for being my co-host on this podcast and i can only reiterate your thanks to everybody out there who 
listens to it, has sent back very nice feedback on it, has asked us about what we're going to be doing in the future. We'll continue to be doing this stuff. You can't get rid of us that easily. We will be back next year. So until then, have a happy new year, everybody, and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbeat.